This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another week of Yanks Go Talking. Today we have an action-packed episode. There's lots going on in the U.S. men's national team space both abroad and back in the domestic league. So first, we're going to talk about the U.S. Male Player of the Year nominees and the Young Player of the Year nominees. Jesse Marsh was let go at Leipzig, so our discussion about him being safe last week lasted about five days before we were proven wrong. We're going to touch on the December roster as well for the U.S. that is taking on Bosnia and Herzegovina. We'll obviously end up talking about the games we're watching this week and give you our last word before heading out. But guys, thanks so much for listening, for watching wherever you are. I'm your host, Jake. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Ryan and Tom, as always. Tom, Ryan, how are you guys doing? Doing all right out here in Germany, just trying to stay warm. It's been pretty cold lately, pretty miserable. Got some snow this past week. Uh, Been able to make it out to a couple of the Christmas markets. They're kind of shut down, so it's weird. Like the Allstadt or like the city center won't really have what you typically see for the Christmas markets. But when you go down the little side streets, you can still find some of the vendors. Uh, So we're trying to make the best of it out here. Uh, But unfortunately, yeah, most of the good ones like Nuremberg, Dresden, uh, you know, those are Rotenberg. Those have already all been shut down. So keeping it local this year and just kind of hanging out, watch a lot of soccer. How's everything going for you, Tom? You know, trying to sort of survive the end of the semester. I've got grad school applications due here in about 10 days. I've got, all of my finals coming up tomorrow and Wednesdays. So it's going to be a busy couple of days of study and then a month off of work and school for a little bit. So just trying to get through that last little push, get everything done and enjoy my Christmas season. I, for one, am very excited for you to move to a new school and get some better internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Hopefully. So let's start. Yeah, hopefully. Let's start with the initial discussion. We found out this week that there are six players nominated for the U.S. Male Player of the Year Award for the U.S. Men's National Team. Those being Brendan Aronson, Kellen Acosta, Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic, Miles Robinson, and Matt Turner. I was so excited to see this list and thinking about talking to you guys about who you thought would win, (laughs) who you thought should win. So I want to have that discussion now, and we'll talk about the Young Player of the Year nominees after this. But maybe, Tom, let's start with you. Like, Who who do you think should win, first of all? And then who do you think is going to win? I have a very... I I had a bigger, long discussion about this on Discord yesterday. It seems to me that there's sort of two tiers of players here. I think you have to put Kellen Acosta, Weston McKinney, and Christian Pulisic in a tier of their own. And the winner for me depends on whether or not we're accounting for club form. I'm not sure if we are here. What do you guys think? My assumption was we were accounting for club form. Um, I think they... In, in the past, when there haven't been a lot of USMNT games, I think they've still definitely taken it into consideration. So mm. the one thing the one thing I can't do first is just breeze by the fact that USMNT put Kellen Acosta on this list. 
I, oh, I don't on. know. Is I Tom have him in my top put, three. Yeah, Tom just put Kellen Acosta in the top tier. Yeah, I, no I honestly like I, he's got he's got an argument to win it for me. He is the only player to play all three games against Mexico. He was immense in the Nations League final and provided the assist on Miles Robinson's winning goal in the Gold Cup final. He had a great year for the U.S. men's national team outside of one bad game against Panama in World Cup qualifying. Yeah, I mean, I I won't push back too hard against that. You bring up some pretty valid points. But it just it just strikes me as odd that he would be in there over like why how come Tyler is not even on the list? I was surprised with that. I think it's because the gold cup is being taken into consideration. It's one of the big things that happened this year for US soccer. And so Acosta is the only player to really stand out from that gold cup roster for me as being a solid player. He was he played in every single match. He was great in every single match except maybe Canada, but even there, he put on a defensive showcase. So for me, it's to, it seems like an addition of we had great performance at the Nations League. We've had great performance in World Cup qualifying. Acosta's been on all the rosters and has showed out, especially through the summer Nations League. I mean, if we do take the Gold Cup into account, Kellen Acosta probably should have won player of the tournament. Yeah, but he didn't. So if yeah. he gets that award, he, I feel he, like he's. Yeah, he might mm, be in that tier yeah. for me. I, I yeah. guess like he was our on, he was probably comparable to Weston McKenney in the Nations League in that tournament. He was you know, outstanding in every match, and for me, that's worth an inclusion here. It just feels yeah, a little it, bit wrong and icky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for for me, I would say. How can you look past Christian Pulisic winning the Champions League, that PK, that icon against Mexico, and then also just re- most recently in qualifying, him coming off the bench, having that super sub performance. So coming up big in games against Mexico twice uh, and winning the Champions League with your club and being like instrumental in that in the semifinals. For me, I, I don't see how it cannot be Christian Pulisic this year. I mean, if, if we're, we're taking a talking- club form... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead Tom. <laughs> if we're taking four into account, yeah, Pulisic has to take it for sure. But if we're just accounting for U.S. men's national team play, I think the argument comes becomes a lot more difficult because Pulisic didn't play in Gold Cup. He missed all of our friendlies at the beginning of the year. He's been out for a lot of World Cup qualifying and has only seen, what, 200 minutes so far? So he's had a couple of iconic moments for the U.S. men's national team, but he's not been far away the best player. If you look at McKenney, he's scored twice against Mexico. He's the gold ball winner at the Nations League. He's been instrumental in World Cup qualifying outside of his snafu in September. Uh, We've got Acosta, who's been instrumental across multiple rosters. Miles Robinson's been the defender of the year. Matt Turner's been the goalkeeper of the year. Brandon Aronson, for me, is the only one who doesn't have a true argument to make because he wasn't on either of those rosters. And Pulisic hasn't run away with his U.S. men's Nash team form, even if he has run away with the best club form. I do want to push back a little bit on the Brendan Aronson discussion because for the last six months, I'm pretty sure, or maybe nine months, I'm pretty sure he's the most productive U.S. player. He has the most assists and goals of any U.S. player for the team. So if we're not talking about club form and we're just talking about the country's form, then actually I might have Brendan Aronson as my top 
guy in, in terms of production and what he was giving to the team when players like Christian Pulisic were out and not playing in these teams. I could see an argument for it, but you have to sort of weight it as he didn't make the nation play in the nation's league and he didn't make the gold cup roster. And so he wasn't there for most of our competitive matches. Although he has been our best player in qualifying. So going by players, that top row there, Aronson's the best player from qualifying. Acosta's the best player at the gold cup. McKenney's the best player at uh, the nation's league. So that's sort of a top row of top performers, I guess, for the year. Ryan, who, who do you think should win and who do you think is going to win? Uh, so again, for me, if I, I, who I would pick would be Pulisic. I know you know he's won it in the past, and so is McKenney. So it's nice to kind of see if other players can kind of put themselves in that same space and see if they're on that same level with players like that. But I just the the other names that I see on the list just haven't quite elevated to that level yet. And again, with the moments that Pulisic had, just iconic over the summer, even most recently in uh, qualifying as well. Uh, I think, you know, quality over quantity. I get that, you know, Acosta's had a lot of minutes and everything. Uh, he's and He's been impactful in those minutes for sure. Um, but, again, for me, if I, I would be surprised to see him win it. Who I think uh, U.S. will give it to is Miles Robinson for sure. Miles Robinson. So that's not even yeah. – I did want to ask you guys about Ooh. Miles Robinson and Matt Turner because they're not really names that popped up when we were talking about who deserves to win. Why, why do you think U.S. soccer is going to give it to Miles Robinson? So you're approaching it with logic. That's your first mistake. This is, uh, <laughs> this is U.S. soccer. Uh, so I figure I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to back engineer this thing and go at it from a different angle. <laughs> Ergo, I think U- U.S. soccer picks Miles Robinson. But like, what's, what's your know. logic to back engineer that? What is U.S. soccer <laughs> saying because, to themselves so he's, to he's give been, it to Miles been, Robinson? So having him be like not get defensive player of the year because Zimmerman got it again, correct? Yeah, in MLS. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But he's been one of the biggest names in people talking about if he's going to move abroad. So I think this is USMNT's way of trying to bolster him up a little bit, put him in that shop window, and see if that could help draw in a little bit of interest for him. It's it's nothing that I wouldn't put past US soccer. Add another one to five million onto the price tag. Exactly. <laughs> What about Matt Turner? I mean, who does he does he deserve a shout, or was it just like let's add a goalie to this? Dude, if we're just going to add a goalie onto it, you might as well just throw Horvath on there. Yeah. If we're talking moments, like yeah. Horvath had the best. Do you have a bigger moment, moment than that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, no, I don't think Turner really. If you know, in the Heisman voting, when it typically has like what the percentage is of your chances of winning, I think his is probably. Less than one percent at this point. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think Turner comes in sixth for me. <laughs> okay, so Ryan, you have Pulisic as winning or should win. Tom, do you do you have Kellen Acosta? Do you want to stamp your name on that? I yeah, I think I'm voting for Kellen Acosta. I think he's been impactful. I like seeing the award change hands, and you know, it's just. Good to see him get, you know, get back into the team and play well with his minutes. So I, I would I would give it to him. But if we're taking into account club form, I, I would agree with Ryan that it should be Christian Pulisic because the first American to win the Champions League is a fantastic accomplishment. 
I, I'm going to give it to Weston McKinney for me personally. It just feels like overall, he didn't have that one huge moment, but throughout the, the entire year, he's kind of what's kept this team together. And he, ha- he did have a personal snafu, but you can kind of see how important he is to the team with him missing all of the games that we played in qualifying without Weston McKinney have not gone as well as they should have. Um, and he's, he's such an integral part in the team. So yeah, I would give it to Weston McKinney or even Brendan Aronson, I would say just on us form being the most productive player. But then if we're going by moments, it's, it's gotta be pool of six. So at least for me, like those mm-hmm. are the three, but I, I can see the argument for Kellen Acosta. It's, the, the Gold Cup form, being a part of all three teams that beat Mexico. There were a ton of great moments to look back on as a U.S. fan right now for this past year. So, And Acosta played such a large part in all of those games. But guys, if you are listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube, we'd love to hear from you guys as well to see who you would vote for. So make sure to put that in the comments or leave a review on the podcast and let us know who you'd be voting for. And there's another uh, vote that's happening at the moment, which is the Young Player of the Year Award for the U.S. Men's National Team presented by Chipotle. We are not, uh, <laughs> we are not a Chipotle stance, but we're, we're going to go for it anyway. Who cares? Uh, we won't be paid for that, but if anyone at Chipotle HQ is listening, we, we could use some of that Chipotle money to put Tom through college <laughs> and get him out the other side. So guys, the Young Male Player of the Year nominees are George Bello, Gianluca Busio, Jesus Ferreira, Yunus Musa, and Ricardo Pepe. Same question out to you guys. Ryan, who do you have as winning? Who do you want to win? And who do you think will win? It's tough because I really think uh, Eunice and Pepe both are kind of the, the cream of the crop from this group. Um, I would, I really think that if you look at, if we're going back to the debate of club and just how they played for country, uh, I think Eunice has been such a game changer to the way that we play. We've seen the games in which he's been unavailable for us and we just struggle a lot to move the ball through the middle. So I think when you see the MMA midfield and him being a part of it, it just, our team looks tenfolds better and we can actually play the ball in transition. So the, I mean, he won't have, you know, big stats of assists and goals, but I think anybody that's watching games can see how different our team plays with Eunice in there. But then if you flip it over to the guy that, you know, has come up big when we needed him, it's, it's Ricardo Pepe. The second half, imagine that first window. If we actually don't come back in that Honduras match, like, we're looking at such a different qualifying pattern that it's, you know, it's, it's terrifying even to think of. So Pepe coming up huge in that game. And then also he's had two goals so far in qualifying. So the two times that he's been able to actually come up for us, I've been impressed. His link up play has been a lot better than I expected. Uh, I'll be the first to admit, I, I wasn't super confident when I saw him on the first roster, uh, but he's, he's been done nothing but impressed. Uh, his passing ability is really good. His work rate's strong. He's he's got some maturing to do, you know, as far as making the right runs and knowing when to press. But that'll come in time. So if I had to pick, I'm I'm going with Ricardo Pepe just because of the amount of influence that he's had. Uh, but for me, definitely Eunice is a very very close second. This list is for me at least more competitive than the broader male player of the year. I think even even Ooh, George Bello and Jesus Ferreira. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear that perspective. I think Bello and Frere are kind of like tier two on this list, but Lucio is one of the first really young players to go to Italy and try to gain that playing time abroad in a league that many Americans have avoided for a long time. Yunus Musa, for me, probably could have been in place of Miles Robinson or Kellen Acosta in the Male Player of the Year award. Just kind of what Ryan was saying and the impact that he has on the team when he's on the field. Then Ricardo Pepe, kind of same story. Like he's such an integral part already just after a few games playing and qualifying for the U.S. men's national team. But I understand he's 18 years old. He didn't play in the Nations League. He didn't play part in the Gold Cup. So coming through in World Cup qualifying, that's a little late to be stamping your your name onto this list. But Tom, you disagree. Do you uh, see this as less competitive? And who do you have winning this? I, it, it's more competitive at the top because I do think it's a two-horse race between Ricardo Pepe and Yunus Musa. But I do feel like the other three are just sort of there. They're sort of invitees who don't really have a shot. Because, you know, Bellow's been okay in his limited minutes he's gotten with the team. He was immense in the Gold Cup final, but he struggled in World Cup qualifying. Uh, Busio struggled throughout the Gold Cup and hasn't really had a chance to really make his mark in World Cup qualifying, but he's probably got the best club form of this list. I'm not really sure what Ferreira's doing here beyond having a good sub-appearance against Mexico and having a great form for FC Dallas. This feels like a club form inclusion. For me, it's Yunus Musa and Ricardo Pepe all the way, like, so far above the other three. And I think that's really competitive because I could see an argument either way. Pepe has been fantastic in World Cup qualifying. He's sort of solved a little bit of our striker debates. Uh, he's done really well for FC Dallas. He's, what, the leading American goal scorer this year in MLS? And then Yunus Musa, who doesn't really play much for his club, but has been one of the best U.S. players all year long and down, is, you know, got his own shout as well. And I think I would go Yunus Musa over Ricardo Pepe just because of how insanely good he's looked and the revelation of him in the midfield has completely changed the game for the U.S. as far as formations, as far as how we look in these important matches, as far as dominating a match against Mexico. For me, you got to go Musa just because of that. Dude, Tom ate his Wheaties this morning. Damn. <laughs> He's I, was, I was expecting a Bello inclusion from the Atlanta United fan on this panel. <laughs> no, I, I I love George Bello as a player, but I don't think it's been his best year for the national team, even though it is his debut year. So, you know, excited to see if he grows and excited to see if he gets a transfer. But, you know, he wasn't the best player he's been for the u.s men's national he's not been his his best in his u.s minutes and i think he's got room to grow there whereas the other yeah. two Pepe and musa are clear starters for me right now for the u.s and that puts them a tier of their own on this list we did talk a little bit about tyler adams potentially being a missing name from the player of the year award is there anyone that you guys think is missing from the young male player of the year nominee Ooh, good question reyna mm. Yeah, very yeah, true. Trudis, didn't he win it last year? Yeah, I, not, I, not I'm not sure if there's a reason he can't. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's there's this award you have to qualify by being your debut year with a national team. I don't know. I don't know the rules on this award. <laughs> <laughs> I get. Yeah, I guess all of them did debut. 
this year for the, the national team. And there are a few U23s on that, uh, the main list. So I wonder if that's the case. But yeah, even then, mm. like any names that this, this list is missing. I mean, you, you, I guess you could have thrown Matthew Hoppy on there, but that would have been more for, you know, his, he, he did perform well in the Gold Cup, but kind of his, his club play. Um, we gave 26 players their debut this cycle so far. So <laughs> it's, it you, seems you like there Richards are a lot there? of names. Yeah. Chris, yeah, Richards, Chris Richards could get a shout. James Sands. Yeah. Will, Eric Williamson. I know he's forgotten after his knee injury, but he, he was kind of coming into the team, making a name for himself in the gold cup as well. Heck, yeah, Miles Robinson could be on this list. Yeah, he really could. Is he still yeah. considered? What's the cutoff for age on this? Is it? We're we're making our own rules. <laughs> What's Ryan, U.S. You soccer? You said thing, man. we're not we're using logic here. Yeah, <laughs> this is U.S. soccer <laughs> we're talking about. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I think all of us are pretty much agreed that Pepe and Musa are the top two in this list. I'm gonna go Musa. Tom, you're going Musa. Ryan, who are you putting your name attached to? I'm going Pepe. Pepe. All right. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Cool. All right, guys. So we are going to move on now to talk about Jesse Marsh being fired and let go at Leipzig. So our American coach, not named David Wagner, who was in the Champions League, is let go from Leipzig after about half the season, not even in the Bundesliga. Um, I do want to read some of the comments from the uh, sporting director at Red Bull. So he was asked, why wasn't it a good match between Jesse and the team? He had spoken about it previously that he had hired him because of the style that Jesse had, but why hadn't it fit the style any longer? So this is what the sporting director had to say. We appointed him with complete conviction because he had shown in previous jobs what attractive football he can play. And because we assumed the squad and logically we made one or two personnel decisions regarding new players together with him would fit well. But theory is one thing and practice is something else. And if we had known this, then we wouldn't have appointed Jesse and Jesse wouldn't have come to us. The fact is, of course, after Julian Nagelsmann, the team had taken another development in comparison to Ralph Ragnick and Ralph Hasenhutl. We have a few players who worked under those two coaches and were a little bit away from the classic Red Bull football and more inclined towards solutions in possession. Of course, with Jesse, we wanted to some extent reinstate the core Red Bull philosophy but that didn't work because the team at the end of the day, and we must also hold the team responsible after the matches we've seen recently, wasn't ready to take on these convictions and follow the match plans. Guys, we just were talking last week about Jesse Marsh being safe in his role at Leipzig. What happened? They only lost two to one over the weekend. How are you guys reacting to this news? So I'll give him this much. He lasted 157 days in the Bundesliga. That's more. That's better than Bob Bradley's 85 in the Premier League. Uh, <laughs> he you were did twice early- as well as Bob Bradley. Exactly. So, you know, progress. <laughs> and, you know, people keep talking about uh, having U.S. coaches that are in big five leagues. And everyone always leaves out Matarazzo at Stuttgart. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's been doing a great job there. So at least we still have somebody that can represent the U.S. flag and be coaching in a top five league. So, Feel free to support Stuttgart a little bit. Um, but as far as what happens uh, with Jesse, 
Oh man, I th- it's pretty it's pretty weird because you know in league they're sitting kind of mid table. Granted, have they looked good? No, uh, but they also lost a lot over the last window. They lost both their starting center backs, um, and then they also lost some players that for a little further up the pitch. So Jesse comes in into you know a team that has been in the Champions League and on the verge of challenging for the Bundesliga, even. You know, people have been talking in Germany about is Leipzig really the the next club that can actually challenge Bayern? Because so far, no one's been able to do it for the last 10 years. Uh, So I think Jesse, you know, he fell into a little bit of a rough position, but I think he also didn't, from what I've been reading, he had didn't really show the ability to change. He was kind of sticking to this is what I know. This is the RB style that we play and kind of. You know, if it's fitting a square into a round hole, it just wasn't going to work with the players that he had in that roster. Um, it's I think it's going to be interesting to see how it affects Tyler Adams. This is what his like fourth new coach in a short period of time. So hopefully he still is getting regular minutes there. Uh, but, you know, I think it was really just the a couple of I think a couple of players had voiced that they were frustrated with Jesse's inability to change his style or his tactics up a little bit. So you get a little riff in the locker room. You see the play on the pitch isn't kind of, kind of up to par. And then you look at what's going on for him in the Champions League. And I think it was just the the recipe for him to get fired. I think he'll still land on his feet. I think it'll be interesting. We can maybe chat next about where you guys think he could be mm-hmm. a, a good position for him next. Yeah. Tom, what do you think? And do you have any thoughts on where he lands next? I, I don't know what to think because, you know, we were all rooting for him to succeed. It would have been amazing for an American manager to succeed like he, at a club the size of Leipzig. But, yeah, with the players that he's got running that high-press system that he does sort of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it it's sad to see that he really can't adapt his system to sort of match the players he has. I do think that's a sort of scathing indictment for people who want him to be the next national team manager, because for me, that's the greatest quality a national team manager has is being able to adapt their system to the players they have. And we'll talk about that. I'm sure when we talk about Berhalter later on in the podcast, but um, so for me, you know, it's sad to see that he can't do that. And I wish he would have been able to be successful. It does feel a little premature, but at the same time, it feels like a premier league level move where Leipzig is desperate to sort of keep their position at the top of the table and it's not happening right now, so they're just trying to make a change and see if they can't stop the bleeding. Even if you, even if you know, given more time, Marsh could have been more successful. It, you know, you don't have the luxury of time at clubs like that, so it really sucks to see. But that's the way soccer goes these days, and he'll land on his feet somewhere. I don't know where yet. I, I, I feel like maybe his style works best in sort of the championship in England. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I well, can see him. There's bit- go, go ahead. ahead yeah. You take it, Jake. No, no, you go. No, I you mean, go. I do think that his, his style, he gets a lot of flack right now for being inflexible and not able to change his style. But I've been reading a lot of the comments from Jesse from the sporting director from what was happening. And it seemed like because the team had kind of moved on from that high press system, and Julian Nagelsmann had built the team around more positional play, maybe think about how Bayern likes to play now, is Jesse Marsh didn't necessarily have the best step into that team. It was built for something else, and the players had already bought into Nagelsmann's system. I think about the one story about the player 
Um, I forget it was a forward that was being transferred to to Leipzig, and he wanted to cancel his transfer when he heard Nagelsmann was going to Bayern because he was just going there to play for for Nagelsmann. And Jesse convinced him to come play for Leipzig, continue with the transfer. And that for me is kind of like a broader landscape of what was happening as players had bought in completely to Nagelsmann as the coach. We're looking forward to him being the coach for years and years to come at Leipzig. And he really built the team around a style that wasn't necessarily the way that Jesse wanted to coach. And as soon as the results start to go against you, like Ryan said, the rifts within the team start to form. And that's not a recipe for success, especially at a club that is trying to, you know, basically guarantee themselves top three for the next decade in the Bundesliga. But Ryan, what were you going to say? No, I, I think you pretty much covered it. That you know, I, I think that in the right situation, given the right amount of time that Jesse would have been fine. I was going to move it more towards too, if we were talking about places for him to land. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about instead of moving into a head coaching gig, potentially getting an assistant coaching job. Um, everyone's been talking about him uh, kind of teaming up with Ralph, Ralph Ragnick, uh, who just signed on at Manchester city. They've or Manchester United. Uh, they've worked together in the past. So I've also seen reports that Armis might end up there as well. So it would be. He did just sign on to today. See. I think that's pretty oh, much Armis confirmed. Today? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be, who would have thought a year ago that we'd be talking about Chris Armis being at Manchester United and Jesse Marsh being out of a job. <laughs> I guess like, <laughs> do you think in, in my mind, he, he could go to United and be an assistant coach. And I'm wondering if, a team like Gladbach, who just got beat six nothing, they let go of their coach. Like, is that too high of a level now for Jesse to drop down? Would a team like Gladbach trust in someone like Jesse, who doesn't necessarily have a ton of experience and just had a bad form in the same league? Like, would they go for someone like Jesse Marsh? So, in my mind, I'm just thinking, like, what's next for Jesse? I would love for him to stay in a top five league in Europe and really stamp his name and and go through kind of winning over a team and winning over a fan base with maybe a lesser form team than Leipzig was. So in my mind, like I, I still think he's ready. I still think he's good enough as a coach to do that. It's just got to be the right situation. But I, I feel like because of the the form that Leipzig had, it's probably too poor for a team like Gladbach to try and scoop him up. What do you guys I think? I would love that if it happens. Yeah, I think that would be awesome if it happened. I would just be surprised if it does. I, I think he might be, you know, taking a little time off, have a little vacation for a little bit before we see him coaching again. I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, I even saw someone talking about uh, coming back to MLS and LAFC. If that position opens up, would that be kind of the I right heard place Cincinnati for Cincinnati wants to play a high press. There you go. So, <laughs> Uh, but like you said, I would I would more like for him to stay abroad and really challenge himself. And I think, like I said, I think the assistant coaching position inside a, a large club, I think would be potentially a really good next step for him. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that that could be something that would really move his career forward because it would just give him the right connections to get it, it into his next job. Yeah, I, I genuinely doubt that he will move back to MLS. Yeah. He's he said in a lot of interviews how much it means to him to kind of be the flag bearer 
for American coaches in Europe and the chip on his shoulder that he wants to carry to kind of prove himself abroad. I feel like it's it's been too long coming. He's put in too much work over the last five, six years to build himself into a coach that's ready to take on Europe to then go back to MLS. So I, I just, maybe he does, but I'm just kind of reading between the lines on what he said in interviews that I really doubt that he comes back to the U.S. to coach in his next yeah. role. Yeah, I agree. Is, None of the jobs that are open in MLS are really attractive jobs either. Like even LAFC is kind of that right now. Yeah. Is there a team in Europe that you guys would want to see him at? I think the Gladbach call is actually a really good one. Uh, just given the style of play, they, they typically are a team that likes to play a high press. So like, and they already have obviously the players to do it. So that could be a really good fit. Um, I saw people talk about even if he wanted to go further East Dynamo Kiev, I think might have an open position and they're a yeah. team that at least, you know, is in the champions league. So it's that I feel like it's kind of uh, maybe a little bit of a step back from Salzburg or close to a lateral. So, but you know, Hey, if he's coaching the champions league, then that's always a, you know, something that you can hang your hat on. It's something to be embarrassed about. That's true. Yeah. We, we have Jesse, we have David Wagner at BSC young boys in Switzerland. Uh, you mentioned Pellegrino Materazzo. He's kind of a lesser known name coaching Stuttgart. Um, his name might imply that he's not exactly American, but he grew up here. He went to college here. He is very American um, if you listen to him speak and coach. So it, it's just like Stuttgart isn't necessarily the size of a club like Leipzig or maybe had the aspirations that Leipzig had. But if he gets them anywhere close to the Champions League or the the Conference League, anything like that, I think he's still going to be a name. But for me, like with Matarazzo, at least, this is more like Stuttgart is the step before the big step. And if he can do a good job at Stuttgart, then the next team that's calling for him could be one of the larger teams. Mm -hmm. All right. Shall we talk about the December roster? Let's do it. Yeah, man. Let's, <laughs> let's get into the December roster. So this is the team that is set to take on Bosnia and Herzegovina on December 18th. And this is going to be the last game before the end of the year. The next games after that at the moment are going to be the World Cup qualifiers at the end of January. So, guys, this is a game that doesn't necessarily mean much. It seems from comments from Greg that we are bringing in players that we need to keep sharp, players that we want to get a look at for the first time, and players that are maybe on the fringes that just need a bit more time in the system with the coaching staff. We talked last week about players that we wanted to see. We talked about Jordi Mihalovic, who is actually uh, trialing right now with Bologna in Italy, so he wasn't available. Uh, other few names like Daryl Dike has had a rough year with injuries and was given a rest. Same with Miles Robinson as well. So this is kind of the list that we're given with the reasons that we're given. And for me, at least, I don't necessarily have a ton of issues with the list that we're given uh, Jackson Ewell makes a ghostly appearance <laughs> in this roster. Again, I feel like for me, at least he just is more of a presence to have experience in the system and know the coaching staff and be able to bring 
the young players along. I don't necessarily think this is his like swan song to get back into the U.S. men's national team. But guys, who are some names that you were happy to see and maybe surprised to see on this list? Uh, Ryan, maybe we'll start with you. So I was definitely really happy to see Slonita on there. Um, you know, just given the dual national panic, these are the type of relationships you want to form when they're really young. Uh, so it's, you know, have them be in the system, even tra- training with the nat- or with the senior team from a, from a young age, if you have the opportunity to. And a camp like this, you've got nothing to lose. So it's great to call in good young guys like that. Um, so Slonita was the big one from goalkeeping for me. Uh, I'm really interested to see how Justin Che bounces back from the Revelations Cup. Uh, I think it was a, kind of a rough tournament a little bit for him. So it'll be interesting to see him, see if he's able to bounce back a little bit. I, I, I don't know if I'm happy or sad to see Brian Reynolds, but it's a thing. Like, it, it moves the needle a little bit. Say, say more about um, that. Why are you happy like, and sad? Always love to see him in a red, white, and blue jersey, but then also, you know, disappointed to see that, you know, his, his club team was willing to be like, yeah, go ahead, take off. We're, we're, Brian we're Reynolds right. is the only European-based player on this team that was let go from his Ross, from his club team to play in this camp. So Not a great sign. That might say enough. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear us, Sorry, Ryan? Mike. Yeah, it broke up a little bit. Sorry about that. Uh, no worries. Uh, I was just saying that uh, Brian Reynolds was the only European-based player that was let go by his club to to come to this camp. What about Taylor Booth? Well, he's he's at Bayern too, or getting substitute minutes. So I guess you're right, but probably a different situation to Brian Reynolds, who's trying to fight for, for sure. playing time on the first for team. Sure. You got me. Yeah. So. I, well, he's just one of the other players that I'm excited to see. I, I thought he did really well on his loan last year, and I was disappointed not to see him get a good loan this year because I, I felt like he was really let, ready to kind of make that next step. Um, but anyway, back to these guys, uh, defenders. Yeah, Reynolds was one that I found very interesting. Um, and then again, if Justin Che can bounce back. Besides that, uh, not really a lot of names that jump off for me. Brooks Lennon is always just a name that takes me back because he was one of the first players when when he was over at Liverpool and I was following him. I thought that he was going to be, you know, amazing. The next great thing for U.S. soccer. Uh, so it's always interesting to see where some of these young kids and academies end up. Yeah, yeah. How about how about you, Tom? For me, Brooks Lennon. That's actually a name that jumps out as someone I'm excited to see get more playing time, and I think given his MLS form is someone who could be pushing for a backup spot at right back with the U S he has been nothing short of one of Atlanta's best players this year. And I'm excited to see him get a look. The name I'm really excited about is actually at the left back spot. It's Kevin Paredes. He has been great this year for DC United. He's young. He's got so much flair and style to his game. I don't expect him to be sticking around MLS for very long. I'm glad to see that he's back from injury and he's going to, you know, get a chance to be in this U.S. camp because he's got some plans and style and can really show out in this camp. I'm really excited for just the forwards list. Every single name on there is just a fantastic player. I'm excited to see Jordan Morris get back into the team. I'm excited to see what Jesus Ferreira can do with more minutes. Hopefully, Caden Clark and Cade Cowell, both are names that we've been wanting to see for a while, and we're finally going to get a look at them on the first team to see what they can do. And then Taylor Booth is an exciting prospect again. Bayern's academy system produces great products. So 
in, it'll be interesting to see if you know this is a call up to just get him introduced or if he sees any minutes uh, and what we end up seeing out of that. Yeah. So next week when we get closer to the game, we're going to go through our starting eleven. But I want to ask you guys about two names on the defenders list that are coming from the USL. So Jonathan Gomez has been a name that has been top of mind for a lot of U.S. men's national team fans for a long time. He is part of or was part of Louisville City in the USL and was sold to a team in La Liga. And he's a Mexican-American dual national. He's played um, and trained with Mexico before. He said in multiple interviews that he wants to try out both camps and both teams before making his decision. And this is one of the first times that he's able to join a U.S. camp. Now, Kobe Henry is the other name on this list that is coming to us from the USL. So two questions. What do you want to see from Jonathan Gomez in terms of what he's getting out of this camp and what he's bringing to the table? And then my second is, does this say something about the development of young U.S. players that can go to USL if they aren't getting first team minutes in MLS? Maybe, Tom, we'll, we'll kick it off with you since you're the domestic MLS USL expert. Yeah, I actually, you know, go to many games in the conference. It's probably the part of USL is probably best for this development. Uh, the sort of Mountain West area has been churning out great products for the last year or so. And there's some really exciting names there. Uh, for Jonathan Gomez, I'll start there. I have a hard time sort of knowing what to expect from him in this camp. I sort of had decided that he was sort of gone to Mexico. And I'm kind of surprised to see him actually take a call up from the U.S., I hope he, you know, gives us one more chance beyond this, gives a chance with the first team, especially after we see what he's got with Sociedad. I don't know. I hope I just, you know, excited to see his name on there. He's an exciting prospect, but not one that I have the highest hopes that sticks with us. I don't actually know a whole lot about Kobe Henry. Where does he play in USL? Let me check that while Ryan gives us who, his two cents. <laughs> well, so, yeah, I can't believe I even missed Jonathan Gomez on the first go around. I actually had my notes pulled up and it was covering part of the screen. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm pumped about Jonathan Gomez. Uh, I, he, it, you know, in a position where we are lacking some depth in left back, to have a young kid that is super clean on the ball, uh, can go forward, can – he's – I don't, he's, I'm not comparing him to Sergio Des, but I think their games are somewhat similar. Uh, you know, Jogo loves to get up the field and he had a, I think he had four or five assists. He did really well for Louisville. And did, for, did they make it all the way to the championship? I thought they did. No. Semifinals. No, semifinal. No? Yeah. Who was it? Semifinals. Yeah. That's right. Okay. To be back. Um, for, to hit, that's right. Um, so, and to be moving on to Real Sociedad is huge at such a young age. Um, I think he's, I think going to the Spanish league or La Liga is the right fit for him and for his style of play. I think it'll definitely be a great place for him to develop. So for me, that's, that's the biggest name on there. Now, as far as, you know, Joe uh, Gomez wanting to go see both camps, I hope he gives us another chance. This is just kind of the, the appetizer get him in, you know, see if he likes the the warm-ups and feels good in the jersey and whatnot. But then to get him in with the senior team, just 
see how he really meshes with that, with the guys there, I think is going to be the the next step that needs to be taken. But we, you know, we'll see how he does in Sociedad. I don't know that he's going to be, you know, going to Qatar or anything like that, but this is definitely a player looking more towards 2026 that I'm super excited about. Um, a couple Ryan, other guys that saying, I, I didn't mention earlier. Uh, are you that? saying you're worried for him to see Jackson Ewell touch the ball and then figure out that he's not in the right camp? Dude, my connection is terrible. Sorry, one more time. <laughs> uh, I was saying, are you worried that Jonathan Gomez is going to see Jackson Ewell kick the ball and then figure out that he's not in the right camp? Yeah, like he's like, how did this? How did Almeida actually like this guy? He'll be blown away. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, it's it's you know if you're going to give somebody a first impression, December camp, if it's you know a big dual national that you're trying to recruit. You know, if you're trying to recruit a guy to go to Louis to LSU, you don't take him to LSU versus Tulane. You take him to LSU versus like Alabama. <laughs> we're yeah. we're turning into that uh touchlines and touchdowns podcast, which I will shout out um is another great US men's national team podcast. But um Kobe Henry is a 17-year-old place for Orange Orange County SC. He's ah, okay. listed as a center back, but I think he can play along the entire back line. Um, so yeah, that's, that's our other S- USL inclusion. Western conference of USL. Western conference of USL has some insane prospects. Diego Luna down in El Paso is another name that really yeah. jumps out to me as someone who could be a star in the future. Uh, there's another one at uh, San Antonio FC. They have a player who's just phenomenal and is their best player. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Jose Gallegos. Even New Mexico. Uh, Gall- yeah. Gallegos. Uh, uh um, yes, no, every time I've watched him play, I've been blown away at how just smooth he is on the ball. He can take two or three defenders out of a play whenever he wants. And then even, you know, uh, uh, RSL's Academy team has the Monarchs have some young players that are really up and coming big names. And then even New Mexico United just signed their first Academy player to a contract. And Christian Nava is another one to watch as someone who's not long for USL, probably not bigger than MLS, but USL's development has gotten a lot better in the last few years. And the more we see these minutes going to young players, we're going to see these players get a chance to develop in a way that they might not be able to if they can't break into that MLS first team. And it almost becomes a third path for players to develop. We sort of know the Pulisic path is go to Europe when you're 17 and you know debut for the first team. The people who are not as good as Pulisic maybe debut in MLS and make their move there. And then the people who are maybe not quite good enough for that MLS roster at that age, USL is rapidly becoming a third path to sort of develop your skills and get some meaningful professional minutes. It seems to me it's it's becoming more of a destination for young players that maybe don't want to be a super sub all the time or come off the bench for one or two games in a season for an MLS club and getting playing time in the USL is a high enough talent level that they can show what they're made of and they can develop a bit more in that league. It'll be a lot higher too. Now that USL booting out the MLS two teams, the MLS two teams have brought down the quality of the league in both, you know, terms of fan enjoyment and quality of play a lot. In my experience, I've been to my, more than my share of USL games, and it was always way more fun watching the non-MLS teams play because they have more fight, they have more passion, they connect with their fans better, they seem to care more than the development academy guys. 
Ryan, you were about to say something. I was just going to kind of tap on the fact that, yeah, I think USL is a, a great place for people to develop right now. I mean, people forget even on this roster that, you know, Aaron Long, when he was even like 22 or something like that, he was still playing in USL. Yeah. Maybe 21. But he just skyrocketed through the ranks. And now, you know, he's one MLS Defender of the Year. So, you know, development isn't always linear. You want to see kind of how these guys are going to come along. So having something like USL is just, yeah. it, it's incredible to have. I think it's great for players like Jonathan Gomez to be, you know, still young and I coming up, but being able to go against full-grown adults to, just so they can learn kind of a little bit of the speed and the physicality of the game. Um it's it's just been I think USL is going to be like or is kind of the the best way to help bring up players right now and I think even the younger guys that sign for them I I think it could be easier for them to work out contracts with teams abroad when you're operating with teams that are in USL rather than MLS as a conglomerate yeah yeah MLS well and I, I know a little bit yeah I know a little uh-huh. about the the USL contract structures. Unless you're a star for your team, and usually the stars are not players who are going to be going to Europe. They're sort of older veterans of USL who go bop, bop around to different teams and win USL year after year after year. You're on a one-year contract every year except for those big stars. I think that I know three New Mexico United players who have been signed to a multi-year deal. Uh, it's n- even smaller for other teams. So that ability to have that, you know, year after year, we're not sure if we're going to renew your contract is great for young players because it's cheap for Europe to buy them and makes for an easier time transferring. MLS we've seen before tends to be stingy and hold on to their star players who are young because Aaron Long, another great example of this, because if they lose them, it would be just catastrophic to their ability to compete. Yeah. yeah I, not, I not every USL team. team, not every USL team can have Didier Drogba like Phoenix. did. <laughs> You know, I, I a, might get this number contract. wrong, but I'm pretty sure Jonathan Gomez was sold for either it was either fifty thousand or five hundred thousand to his La Liga team like, and Louis. Yeah, this was one Louis of the, the worst pieces of business he's ever done. Yeah, yeah. So they put into their coach's contract that there was a clause in there that said that they couldn't sell players for more than X amount if he left, and he left with less than one year left on Gomez's deal and they couldn't re-up it. And he got to leave for a 10th of what they were supposed to sell him for. They actually put something on Twitter, apologizing for how bad the decision was. Yes. That was my favorite moment. Other than what happened on the field against Mexico, that was maybe one of my favorite moments of us soccer this year. Um, But Ryan, I thought you made a really good point about Aaron long, because even just looking at the rest of this roster, I'm pretty sure, uh, again, 99%, I'm pretty sure, but this might be wrong. Justin Shea, uh, Aaron Long, Paredes, uh, Ricardo Pepe, Ferreira, Caden Clark, all of them have played USL minutes before moving to their MLS team. So even outside of Jonathan Gomez and Kobe Henry, who are currently playing in USL, there's so much development on this roster, even from the 18, 19, 20-year-olds that are now playing in MLS clubs. Yeah, it was something like four years ago, maybe five. I saw Tyler Adams play for uh, yeah. Red Bulls 2 against Phoenix. Like, I remember and being super pumped. a little tiny, like 16-year-old kid shredding people. <laughs> uh, after that, he was brought on to um, the Red Bull was playing Chelsea in a preseason game. 
and they didn't have enough players available. So Tyler Adams played against Chelsea, scored. I'm pretty sure New York Red Bulls beat them for nothing. And like four games into the season, Mourinho was fired. So I always like to think that Tyler Adams <laughs> as a 16 year old is the reason that Mourinho got fired. All right, guys. So that was our December roster breakdown. We're going to talk about our, the games that we're watching this week and move to the last word. Um, for me, MLS Cup is coming up. I would have loved to see that the Philadelphia Union made it to the final. I know I talk a lot about the New York Red Bulls. I grew up going to Metro Star Games, but I've lived the last 10 years in Philadelphia. I've really come to love the Union as well. I'm a two, two-team two man in MLS, and Union had nine players that were not available because of COVID restrictions. Six of them were starters. Aurelian Collins started a game since for the first time since 2019 and played extremely well, but they still lost in Tacoma to New York City FC. So the final is on Saturday. It's Portland hosting NYCFC. That's the game that I'll be watching. But Champions League is also back this week. I believe that Man City is playing RB Leipzig, so we might get to see Stefan versus Tyler Adams. We'll see if Adams is still a part of the starting lineup. And because Man City is already qualified, will Pep give Stefan a run out at goalkeeper? We'll see, but that's tomorrow. I think that's in the early slot. So those are the two games that I'm watching. Ryan, do you have any games that you're watching? There's a lot to pick from. Um, gonna go with Wednesday, Barcelona versus Bayern Munich. I mean, just two gigantes that it should just be an incredible match to see. Uh, hopefully you get a chance to see Dest out there, challenge himself a little bit, see if we can get Dest on Alfonso, little US on Canada battle out there. That'll be pretty interesting. Uh, I would say Wolfsburg wheel, but it looks like uh, Timothy Way has picked up a knock. He did miss some minutes, or, or he wasn't even in the 18 over the weekend. So hopefully he gets back. Um, and then over the weekend, again, what would have been huge would have been Juventus versus Venezia. Uh, could have had Busio versus McKenney kind of in the midfield. Kind of would be one of the first times we've really had two U.S. players in positions in which they will actually be going head-to-head against each other. I think that would have been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but unfortunately, not going to be the case. Um, and then also to uh, midweek, lastly, uh, Young Boys versus Manchester United. See if Peapock can score against United again. Hopefully he can. Okay. He brought home the win last time. That's right. So we'll see what he happens. Did. Tom, how about you? Um, looking at Champions League, I, I was sort of echo some of those matches that Ryan pointed out. I think Wolfsburg versus Leo would have been my sort of pick as the best one to get a chance to watch. I do want to see Chelsea versus Annette to see if Pulisic gets some more minutes and gets some minutes in position he actually plays. Uh, given that Chelsea is through already, it would be a good chance to get him some more minutes, get him integrated back into the squad a little bit better. Uh, as far as the weekend goes, I'm looking to Germany and looking at Leipzig versus Gladbach, two teams that are both kind of in a bit of a disaster free fall right now. But do we have a chance for Yank on Yank action in the Bundesliga? That'll be awesome to see. Uh, those are two of my sort of big games. If you want a more obscure game, the Europa League, Christian Cappy and Bronby taking on my Sparta Prague will be an interesting one as well. Nice. Cappy has been kind of in and out of the starting lineups recently. Yeah. Um, so we'll see mm-hmm. if he gets his playing time in Europa League. All right, guys, we've made it to the last word. What do you have to say for yourselves, Tom? What's your last word? 
Uh, last word is just, you know, persistence. It's going to be a long couple days. I'm about to go study for a quiz on machine learning here and finish up a couple big projects to try and get myself out of the semester and then, you know, work on my graduate school applications. So going to try and get through these last couple days and get a chance to enjoy my holiday season. I fly back to Tennessee next Saturday and I'm excited to be home with my family for a while. Nice. That's awesome. How about you, Ryan? Uh, I would just encourage everybody to watch the MLS Cup final. Uh, I think, you know, it's always a metric that I find really interesting to look at is the TV viewership. And unfortunately, when you're looking for people to invest into the league, things they're going to look at is numbers of eyes that are on them on something like the MLS Cup final weekend. So, you know, if you've got, even if you have something going on, try to put a little bit of time aside, hit the record button on the DVR, whatever gets the clicks and gets views. Uh, I think it'd be really interesting to see that climb. So I'll definitely be staying up late to watch it. I think that'll be the the one thing that I'm kind of really looking forward to this week. Uh, I don't get to watch a lot of MLS, but you know, we'll make the cup happen. I think my favorite thing about the MLS playoffs so far has been that all almost all the game times have been relatively within awake hours for Europe. And uh, the MLS Cup final, I think, is at 9 p.m. German time. 8 p.m. UK time and 3 p.m. Eastern. So we might get a chance, Ryan, to uh, watch that with, with awake eyes. Guys, my last word, as always, thank you so much for listening, watching. We really appreciate everyone. Um, we're essentially at a point now where we're getting at least 100 downloads on our podcast a week, almost 1,000 views on our YouTube page. So just thank you so much for all the support. It helps us just to know that we're doing things right by the u.s soccer community and we're able to continue making these podcasts for you guys so thanks so much and we'll see you next week to talk about our starting 11 for the bosnia and herzegovina game see everyone bye this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.